Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. Andy, it's Wednesday. It's the off season. That means we are going to do a deep dive interview today with someone awesome from the gambling space. Tell some great stories, ask some interesting questions, have a, uh, a free-flowing conversation that uh, kind of shed a little bit of insight and into process, into how to become a better player. Does that sound like fun to you? Yes. It, yeah, and we uh, we haven't done one yet. It's the first... Have we? No, we haven't. First interview. Yeah, that's right. We actually, yeah, we we did a couple interviews in the NFL playoffs, but those were largely focused around actually handicapping the events themselves. Uh, whereas today, we are doing a little bit more industry focus. We have a first ever guest who has actually worked behind the counter for an extended period of time. First ever uh, appearance on the Deep Dive. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Mad Lindemann. Guys, what's going on? I appreciate y'all having me on. We appreciate your time. And uh, I guess first question, question at everybody, you know, we gave, we give people an opportunity to ask uh, some questions. We got a, we got a legit Vegas bookmaker on and everybody wants to know uh, first question for you. This is a hard one. <laughs> does, does Vegas know? Vegas knows. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> they do. Okay. Yeah. So no, we no, can no. confirm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you know, it's a lot of fun kind of joking around about that. And, um, I think the the irony in that statement is that Vegas knows a lot less than everybody thinks they do, and um, <laughs> you know which we can get into. But uh, you know it's it's really nothing to do with Vegas and everything about the people that are betting into the market and what the market knows. So um, it's just you know kind of an enjoyable thing. And I, I even saw a tweet the other night that said something about Westgate knowing uh, that the, the Super Bowl was going under or something like that. So it's a long-standing myth. Uh, that Vegas knows. I love it. <laughs> well, uh, to give a little bit more setup here, a little bit more of an intro. Um, your uh, your account I came across when I first stumbled onto gambling Twitter, uh, and I don't, but I don't know a ton about your background, so we'd like to dive into that a bit. Um, but for safe to say that uh, you have pretty extensive experience behind the counter in Vegas. Yeah, I'm getting there. I think if you if you compared me to a lot of the people that are in in town, I'm probably still behind in terms of experience. But um, yeah, I came out here in 2012 and came out with no job, no friends, nothing. Just really didn't know what I wanted to do after college, and decided I wanted to give the sports betting industry a shot since I've been doing power ratings and all that, you know, for the last few years in college. And uh, so I talked my well, I didn't talk my, I told my parents they weren't very happy about it, but. I uh, told him I was going to Vegas and moved out here on my 24th birthday. And I think within a couple of weeks, got a job as a ticket rider. Um, and then slowly I ended up moving from Valley's where I started over to the M, which was the hub for CG or Canner Gaming at the time. And, uh, you know, someone said, hey, you got to go over there. They make lines over there. They actually move the numbers. You know, that's the place you want to be. So took a ticket writing job over there and kind of slowly worked my way up. I, I was a supervisor for about six months and then. After about six months of that, I got a job in risk. And I think I was only, yeah, like 25, 26 at the time. So I got in the back of, of CG. And it was, at the time, it had to be the toughest place in Vegas to book games because they were still taking a lot of sharp action. Um, they weren't very far removed from Colbert being there when they wanted to welcome all this, you know, sophisticated play in. So we were still booking really big limits and really sharp action. So I got a really, uh, really great first you know experience in the uh, bookmaking 
side of things, getting to learn and, and book those bets and book from a sharper crowd as opposed to being somewhere where you don't really take that action. And then, uh, so I actually ended up at CG for about three, three and a half years and, you know, kind of got to the point where I felt like I had gone about as far as I could go there. There wasn't really, you know, any, any upward trajectory for me there. So I decided to leave and take my, take my chances trying to bet for a living. So, uh, I did that for almost two years, about 20 months and, you know, just decided it really wasn't for me. I just, I was unhappy. I wasn't leaving the house, you know, just you know, consumed by trying to make money every day. And so I ended up getting back into the bookmaking side of things. I, I went to work for my buddy, Jeff Davis at Caesars, and I was there for about a year. And, you know, we got to do a lot of cool things, got to, you know, really do some cool stuff to kind of market Caesars and, and get them some publicity and uh, ended up going over to Circa after that. And, uh, you know, same kind of thing, ended up leaving Circa here recently. And I'm now, you know, kind of trying to figure out what my next move is. So uh, yeah, it's been a really crazy last three or four years. I've done a bunch of different stuff and, and worked at, you know, booked for three different companies. So um, definitely have some good experience, but, uh, you know, not not necessarily what some of these guys who've been around for 20 or 30 years can say. It was kind of like a, it's kind of like your audio resume there. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> yeah, you can just, you can you know, just turn, hand this podcast out. To, uh, to give like the, I forgot to give like the dates and stuff, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah, I should have you know, laid out some more duties and responsibilities. But um. <laughs> something, you said, something you said at the end there, which was super useful, is just kind of the power of experience. Um, I, this, this is one of those spaces, this is one of those areas where, you know, that you, you can have some beginner's luck. Sure. You can have a couple of years of it. You know, in fact, a lot of people who have kind of survivorship bias in terms of player on the player side, I think they probably had some beginner's luck. They didn't quit because they thought they had a skill at this early on. Um, but the more, you know, the more and more years you accrue, the more and more experience you, uh, you obtain, the by far and away, the better understanding you have of kind of the whole, how it all works, really, like the, like from, from beginning to end. And, I definitely feel like I have a weakness in that I've never worked behind the counter. I haven't heard a ton of stories. We don't have a ton of connections to people who have worked behind the counter. So uh, much appreciated coming on today and sharing some of your stories. Uh, this is uh, you know, this is going to be a pretty interesting podcast. But um, I guess, you know, did, did you feel like, uh, you know, I guess going from player to uh, to bookmaker to player to bookmaker, I guess, do you take lessons in each step and feel like that, you know, you s- are starting to... Uh, you know, see the forest through the trees a little better as you, you know, go on and on in this, in this space? Yeah, I think if I didn't do, if I didn't book games at CG when I did, I probably wouldn't have developed the skills or knowledge that I needed to come over to the other side and, you know, do it successfully. So I got to learn a lot. You pick up all these little things. You know, the first thing that any bookmaker learns is just how much people like to arb or scout games and a lot of people, you know, try to make a living from doing just that and not really betting any opinions or market numbers. So that's one thing you you kind of learn, you know, the tricks of the trade with that stuff, which which I did lean on to some degree when I was uh, betting the first time around. Um, you know, so, yeah, you, you pick up on these little things like that, that, uh, you know, these little edges these guys have or things they'll do to uh, give themselves a little bit of an advantage. And um, it, it certainly helps. And then. You know, the first time I left, I got a really good opportunity for that, you know, 20 month span to kind of sit there and, and teach myself some things, learn some things on the betting side. And then I actually ended up working with uh, 
a group right angle for a few months during football uh, when I was there. So I, I learned a ton from them. And um, so you're able to pick up on some of those kind of things. And then when you go back to the booking side, you're saying, okay, I want to implement some of this into our, our, you know, booking now, since, you know, I, I've got a better understanding of this and that, and it gives you really even that much bigger of an edge when, when you're getting plus 110 on every game. So, so yeah, it's really been each stop has been. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, it's, you're making that's, it, it turns out, yeah, that's what Vegas knows is they, yeah, they're getting plus 110. Yeah. You know, and like what, you know, the really cool thing though, is like, um, you know, you learn, like I learned a lot about second halves the last time around when I was, you know, betting on my own and working for them. And so I came back and going to Caesars, we just blew them away with the second half numbers relative to years past because we could actually beat the second halves ourselves lane 110. And then, you know, we're sitting here booking the bets. So, uh, that, you know, that was one of our calling cards at both Caesars and circle. We were really strong in the second halves in college. Um, mm. so yeah, it's just a lot of fun kind of picking up those things and, and, you know, I'm curious to see what I'm going to teach myself or learn from others now. Um, and, you know, that I can maybe apply to a future job if I end up doing it again. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's really fascinating how, how you kind of evolve and, and your opinion on how things should be managed, how they, you know, how things should be booked. It, it really changes over time. And it's kind of fun to see. God, I like that one. Boy, I, I get excited when I find a, a low VIG market at some books. Imagine, give me a plus 110 on both sides. I, I, I would crush some markets. My God, yeah, that's yeah. fun. But no, it is, it's kind of a neat little uh, understanding you gain, you know, just the information you gain going back and forth, like, fuck, behind enemy lines on both sides. You know, yeah. you just kind of get to get to know exactly how, how things work in a risk room. And then you go out there and kind of work work from the other side of the counter for a bit. That's a, uh, might have to go get a job. <laughs> can, yeah, I ask, no, can I ask you? Yeah, to, can I ask you to set something up for us? Let's say you got the Duke North Carolina game this last uh, this last weekend. Uh, Duke goes on the road; they're lying minus they're seven and a half, right? Well, I just I want to know from like for like a big time college game like that, right? Because like this is you know th this is a, this is a U.S. kind of centric market. Like yes. I don't really know how the market making books you know in the Caribbean or you know in the UK or anywhere else besides you know Vegas like you know Vegas is probably principally important in in shaping some markets like that where it's mostly US betters uh, for sure the prop market for the Super Bowls is a clear example of that but like right. let's say you got a big time college basketball game coming up like what's it like in the war room as you're figuring out how to shape a line what are some of the key besides arbitrage which is fascinating that that's kind of the first thing you thought of uh, in terms of you know, lesson number one, like, hey, you know, we have absolutely got to be, be we, we can't show our ass here and get exposed to the arbitrage players. But, you know, besides that, like, what are some of the key aspects that go into, okay, we're going to make a market for this game. Uh, and then, you know, I'll, I'll ask you pregame ideas first, and then uh, I'll come back and, and have a specific question for second half after, after that. Well, I'll say for college basketball specifically now, college football, NFL are different. You know, those are different animals. Those are going to be your biggest you know, highest volume market. So you really have to, you know, figure out where you want to stand on each game. But for, you would be so disappointed by the process for a, a booking a college basketball game. It is, it is just unbelievable how, how low the handle is relative to what you would expect. You just don't, you know, I think a lot of people think when a Vegas book puts up a Duke, North Carolina game at three or 4 PM on a, on a Friday for a Saturday game, they're just getting flooded with action throughout the day. Now, granted, I've worked at books that take a little more sharp action and not so much square action, but it really just doesn't generate the handle and interest that that people think it does. So you might end up with, you know, unless you have somebody come in that, that's making a big bet, 
you're probably not going to have a decision for more than like 5,000 on the, on the side of one of those games. You just don't have this big NFL or college football handle. So a lot of the time, you know, when I'm booking, I, I've got my set of numbers. Uh, I, I'm not crazy personally about being first to market on college basketball. So I'd rather kind of let the market settle. There's just too many injuries and there's, it's just way too time consuming. And you really need like a team of people to open first. So for college hoops, I'm letting the market come in and then probably just shading the number, you know, say that, you know, I made the, I made Duke nine and everybody opened seven and a half. We'd probably put up eight or eight and a half. And if I made a game five, we'd probably put up, you know, seven or six and a half. Um, and then you're probably going to take one or two sharp bets, you know, and then you kind of have taken a stance at least to start. And then you're just going to, you know, watch the, you know, kind of how the market progresses and stay on that side of the market, you know, depending on what you lean and, and realistically, you're not looking to go crazy. I'm not looking to, you know, need the game for 20,000 because I like Duke or anything like that. But, um, you know, you're, it, it's really not as, as nuts as you would think. And it's kind of funny the, the Saturday mornings, it ends up being like the Missouri State Evansville game that you take like 15 <laughs> bets on the total each way back and forth. It's consuming all your time and like nobody's bet the Duke game in three hours. You know, it's like it's just it's so funny. But college football is a different animal. You have to really dig in, figure out, you know, who you like, break down the game a little bit early in the week and then talk about it throughout the week. So it's just college basketball. just not quite the giant that you kind of think. Yeah, while, wow. while you were, I mean, and this is a spreadsheet that I've pulled. And to be fair, those aren't lined. I pull games against D2 opponents out. But I just did a quick swipe up of one week of games in college basketball. There were 332 games in the past week, if you go from tomorrow through last week. You know, it makes sense. You take a lot of volume on the, uh, some weeks there's 13 NFL games. Of course, there's going to be more volume on that shit. Like, they're, they're just... It's a numbers game, I suppose. There's so but many I, I, damn yeah, games. I will say that even though none of the games end up being big decisions, the college basketball Saturdays during conference play is easily the most difficult days of the year to book, in my opinion, because you just have 150 games that you have to cover. And, um, Plus you know, they're, they're going to be, yeah, you know, the second halves are just insane. But, you know, you're, you're going to have moves on you know, 20 to 30% of the game. So you're just going up and down the board all day, moving stuff back and forth and trying to manage. And um, it's a great challenge. I love doing it as a bookmaker, but man, you are just like, your brain is fried by three or 4 PM. You can't even think straight. So um, it's, it's very challenging booking college basketball. I think it's the hardest sport to book, but you really don't see the handle. You know, it's just, it's, it's a lot more sharp than, than you would really like. But well, the, I mean, there's spots with like it'd be the like the one o'clock, the one o'clock games for you. There's times where there's like 20, 30 games at one o'clock. And then, you know, I can't imagine how many start landing near each other for halftime. That's just going to be a shit show. Yeah. You know what I've noticed with the pregame is that you like in college basketball, pretty much all of your action comes in from seven to 10 a.m. And you don't see a bunch of stuff right up at tip like you do in, in college football when you've got a lot more public handle. So um, it's really not as crazy for the pregame stuff, but when you get to 150, 145, and all those games go to half and you're trying to, you know, we're trying to plug in numbers, see what our number is. And it's, it's really nuts trying to, you know, manage all of it. That is fascinating. And so that actually explains a little bit of the arbitrage, you know, the rule number one about arbitrage, uh, which is, yeah, if you have, you know, if, if, if you're, you know, lean overall handle wise across all of this different, you know, attack surface, like 
yeah, you have to be extremely conscientious of that because one or two decisions against you because you happen to, um, you know, be the exposed place for, you know, the, for the sharks in that regard uh, can be, you know, extremely, extremely problematic. That's fascinating. Um, so well, how I've do been, you go? Yeah. yeah, I've been out to, you know, I do March Madness every year in Vegas. And granted, that's a whole different animal. That's not, I, I should get out there just for a conference Saturday, I think, because that's so many more games, but that's a, that's a zoo too. And you see it more like you see everybody in line all morning getting in their bets, but a lot of people are betting a ton of the games throughout the day. But then yeah, the lines for second halves, like all of a sudden you see 30 people just get up and move to the line. And, you know, some of them might not even get bets in on the games they want. Like second halves are so, I don't know if people, people just generally, you know, something psychological makes them feel like I've watched 20 minutes of this game. I have such a good grip on what's going on. Like I'm going to crush this second half, but it seems and even with the, the buddies I traveled with and that do a lot of the betting, it seems like that's super heavy is second half betting and Christ, everybody and their sister bets the first to 15 now. I can't imagine yeah. how many people I've seen with tickets on that. Oh, last good few point. Years. First to 15 is monster. I mean, I would say that, yeah, the first to 15, that stuff, like the instant gratification stuff where you can, your bet can be decided in 10 minutes. People love that. I, I think those are oh, yeah. great to offer. And I know South Point does a lot of that stuff for, uh, you know, first team to score a touchdown or whatever in college football. People oh, yeah. eat that up. Like that's a hit. I think that's going to be kind of a more common market in like March and stuff. But, but yeah, really the handle in the second half isn't that big either. It's just the moves are sharp and they're aggressive. So you have to really follow it or you're going to be three to four limit bets high on a sharp side, which is is not necessarily how you should be booking the game. So it's, again, it's just being able to, you know, keep an eye on all the games. It's, it's really challenging. So without giving away all the secret sauce for making a second half line, <laughs> If I was going about it, I would take there will be some regression to the closing number. Um, we'll need to mix that in. There will be some kind of just general understanding of you know how teams perform and just overall tendencies in terms of you know what some of these coaches we know to be havens at making second half adjustments and having much better performances in second half than first half. Uh, and then there's probably some understanding of game state itself and trying to just evaluate, okay, yeah, this guy's in foul trouble. This guy's gotten hurt. Like, are those kind of the key components that go into a decision about hanging a second and half number or is there anything broad on this? Or is there yeah, just a chart? That's pretty much... <laughs> <laughs> I would say that covers a lot of it, but to be honest, I, I really don't want to go into too much detail because... Sure, uh, I mean, sure. I, in a very simple, a simple way to say is that the, the margin, the first half and game spread, there's a, a formula that at least I kind of came up with. that gets me pretty close most of the time based on those three things. But, you know, there are a number of factors, handicapping factors that that you can add in. But it really, as far as just putting up the basic second half spread, it's a combination of, you know, the halftime score and what the pregame was. It really is. So, um yeah, it's, you know, it's not nearly as advanced or mature of a market as as games, which is, I think, why it's interesting. But it's a really big commitment as a better to know, to be around in that 10-minute, 15-minute time frame every hour. So you can't just sit down and do all your work in 30 minutes. You have to come in, be around throughout the day to do that. And I think a lot of people just don't really want to commit to that. So um, kind of an interesting market. But yeah, I'd rather not get into the you know, sure. about the goods or like share too much of like what we're looking at or anything like that. 
The, I mean, does, does the overall, I mean, does the overall handle of the game, I'm sure that like your exposure on a game, like you said numerous times now, the, you know, the, the handle on any given game isn't as big as people think, probably as big as we thought, apparently like, is that ever coming into play where it's like, okay, we're, we're kind of super exposed on one side, maybe standalone games once you get towards March Madness or something like that. Um, well, you know, I, I got a little more experience with it at Caesars and I did CG and Circa, but um, I would say standalone games, realistically, the only time it would come into play is if it's a Monday night game with, you know, a relatively public side and the public had a really good day on Sunday, you're mm. really liable to get beat up on parlays in that Monday night game if, if the public has a good day on Sunday. So that's one situation where the market will, you know, get a little inflated artificially from everyone trying to kind of cover their asses and not get crushed. Um, but other than that, it's really Super Bowl, uh, the NCAA tournament, not even really the final four, hilariously enough, more so the first two, just the first two rounds. Um, you know, the handle actually goes, you know, well, per game kind of goes down, I would say, throughout the tournament. But realistically those and then maybe like a you know college football playoff game or something like that but uh the, the number of games where the public has any type of influence in the market in my opinion it's really limited to probably yeah like those events and it's still not very significant at the end of the day uh even the bookmakers at the places that don't take a lot of sharp action know that they would rather be on the side of the sharp guy and and won't you know concede too much to public action so they really don't you know there's just people saying that the public drove this game from this number to that number, any regular season game for the most part, that's, that's probably nonsense. So mm. um, it's just kind of, it's just one of those myths that's out there. And um, you know, it's, it's tough to kind of convince people otherwise, I guess. It might be good for people to think that that's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, we try, you know, and you know, it's not like you're misleading anybody, but if they choose to not want to know, then what can you do? You need money to pay the winners with. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no doubt. I don't think there's ever going to be a shortage of that. So no, that God, somebody, somebody actually brought that up to me once because we've done a bunch of, you know, like half-ass educational podcasts where we've explained things and you know we try to we try three-quarter to ass. At, yeah, three-quarter. I mean, we try <laughs> we try to look at most things more analytically than you know just narratives. And somebody said he's like, you know, you guys have a lot of good information, and he's like, a lot of times. I wonder, is like, is it bad? Like, should you actually be teaching? Don't you need dumb people in the market? I'm like, man, first off, we don't get that many listeners. And second off, yeah. there will never be a, short, a shortage of dumb people. Like, there, no, this there will, is a, yeah. Fish, there's always fish. It's always, yeah. No, but like, I will say that, in my opinion, one of the most fascinating things about this industry that it's it's really difficult to, you know, I can't think of many other you know, job fields where this is the case or any other many industries where it doesn't benefit the people that are really good at it to teach other people their skills because there's only so much money that can be yep. made in a given market. So the best people are never going to come on TV. They're never going to do radio. They're, they have no benefit. If they're making enough money betting, they have no desire to even risk, you know, possibly risk sharing any of that information. So yep. they're going to be as tight-lipped as possible and you're never going to get to them. And so it's really this difficult thing where you've got all these people trying to learn, but there's no one to teach anything. And like, you know, I can give out this and that here and there, these nuggets, maybe this idea, you know, or concept to kind of think about, but 
I will never share my biggest edges. You know, I'm never going to go on and tell you how I bet baseball or how I bet the, you know, second halves or, or college football or anything like that, because it really serves no purpose for me, you know? So sure enough. Um, that's what, I that's why it, we do NFL. such a cool thing about this industry. So, <laughs> yeah, that's um, why we do. That's why we break down NFL games because it, hey, it's, NFL. it's a damn near impossible market to beat anyway. And like we're, we're not beating, we're not beating it that badly. Even that yeah. though, some of the situational angles that used to be tried and true are we're fragile. They've oh, yeah. been totally yeah. consumed by the marketplace at this point. And, you know, you can't bet them anymore. At least you can't, you have, you can, you still have to account for them, uh, but oh, it no. gets you back to the market number. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, honestly, I think it's created um, some of the really bad basic uh, angles have, have created kind of an edge on the other side. You know, you'll see you, some of this nonsense. You can see a lot of bounce back situations. The number will get inflated, uh, revenge and, you know, look, look ahead, let down, you know. And, and I'm not saying those things don't happen, but you have to dig in a little bit. And, there, you know, there are a lot of factors that go into making it a look ahead or let down. And a lot of people just look on the surface and just say, oh, well, they beat a big team, you know, last game out or all oh, they got a top 10 team coming up. Like, and that's all they look into. And, and that gets accounted for. And it's not necessarily, and that shouldn't necessarily get accounted for in a lot of uh, cases. So uh, that that's one interesting thing that I've noticed is that the things you used to bet, you really have to evolve and, and kind of tweak, you know, how you're looking at things because the market's kind of picked up on a lot of that stuff. <clears throat> Yeah, that's a great point. In overall, though, edges are fragile. It doesn't yeah, it doesn't matter what sport. Does, you know, it doesn't matter how robust it is at the time you're looking at it. Eventually, you know, if you're betting it into the market, the market is learning. Like, yeah, what, do you think, that, yeah. what do you think? Bob went and worked for an NBA team now. <laughs> we'll never know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I'll ask you a little tougher question now. Now that you're on the uh, the player side of the counter, uh, do you find that it's hard to get uh, the liquidity? that you want for second half college basketball action? You know, if I wanted to get down, I actually, am, I don't really bet that much. You know, I, I'm not betting dimes or multiple dimes or anything like that. I, I'm a smaller player. So I, I really, for the most part, can bet at one place. And, you know, if I'm trying to bet, you know, 500 or, or a little more, a little less, then it's not a problem. But I will say that a lot of the best stuff is, is just really tough to get to these days. You know, it, a few years ago, you you had some time maybe, uh, you know, between maybe the openers or you just had some time in the market. Everything didn't move immediately. But the really bad stuff now, the, the mistakes, um, you know, just kind of just numbers that are wrong. It's really tough to get to or it's tough to get down a lot. So the edge has, has really dried up in that regard where you just, yeah, it's just, it's hard to get to everything. So Do you, you think know, it's because of the, of the apps? That, I mean, do you, do you think it just people can or be faster? Automation they, in general, yeah, yeah automation to, in general. People don't have to drive around town anymore. They have the app. They're sitting at their house betting it. Well, the the places in town understand the markets that they're liable to get beat on, so they'll take their time. You know, no one in Vegas is going to be in a rush to open up college football on Sunday. No one is going to be in a rush to open up the college basketball games first or the half times first or anything that they know has a smaller margin. So they're going to take mm -hmm. their time putting it up and you know, a lot of these people that don't necessarily live in Vegas or use Vegas outs, they're going to hit it offshore immediately. And Chris might drop a half point or a point on the side you like, you know, or total you like uh, before anyone in Vegas even opens it. So, you know, like baseball is a great example. I used to be able to wait until places in town would open. I could, you know, if I had a number that I thought was wrong and I wanted to bet it a few different places, then uh, it was no problem waiting until, 
you know, four o'clock, five o'clock. But, you know, the last year or two, if you don't bet it in the first like two minutes at Chris or Pinnacle, you're not getting that number. It's just not happening. So uh, that's one thing that's that's changed like really quickly um, um, in the last uh, yeah year or two that just really um, it, it's it's just you just don't have those, you know, freebies anymore. It, it's just kind of gone. And uh, mm. I can't even imagine where we're going to be, you know, in a few years from now. So. Oh, the freebies matter so much, too. If you can, yeah. like we were talking about the math behind betting yesterday, like if you're even if you're a 50 50 player overall, like if you're getting, you know, one or two freebies a week, like there's your 50, that's the 53 you needed right there. Yeah, one or two a month, you know, one two, yeah, you get one or two extra ones out of a sample of 100. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fascinating. It's basically an arms race now. I get the same sense, you know, from the you know offshore playing space. Um, Actually, I will say that the offshores seem like they're more liable to put up a bad number on a prop or uh, kind of an off-market bet than you'll find in Vegas. So you might, you know, I know that Kanish posts a lot of stuff that is kind of like stealing money at times, and so it seems like it's a little easier <laughs> if you're if you're betting into those books than if you're trying to do it here in town. But mm. um, yeah, it's still dried up some. Are you I sad think, that? There's people that just are scared to lay minus 300. You know, like yeah. The, the, yeah, that's true. the the State of the Union prop. Like that was, you know, I, there was people in his, in Kanish's mentions like, oh, that's awful juicy. Like, yeah, that's awfully going to cash in like three minutes. <laughs> like, are you nuts? You know, do you know how yeah. much the, the WAPO hates him? Like that, that's yeah. going, yeah, I would have bet over, you know, over 15, over 20, over 25. It was that was easy stuff. I think I think that's where he has a lot of his edges, where he, he ain't scared to lay money like that. Yeah. Speaking of Kanish, are you sad that he uh, mushed your Wildcats today? Yeah, unreal. I mean, it, it, can't, be worse than, <laughs> it can't be worse than me betting them though. God, oh, I just got lost in a lost in under that's going to overtime. Of course, every uh, freaking that's why time. I a ago, but uh, yeah, no. Uh, uh. Hold on, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> the wild, yeah, Big Blue Nation. Oh, yeah. No, he, uh, yeah, he texts me today. He's already getting crushed for it, at least, I guess. But, um, no, I bet him I bet him every year, and then they always choke. So, I'm trying to not do it this year. And uh, maybe, hopefully, he'll get lucky. I don't know. <laughs> but, A- 81 uh, all down in Auburn. It's sick. It's sick. But, oh, boy. Man. Cardiac. Um, okay. Well, it's going back, <coughs> excuse me, going back a little bit to uh, your uh, your commentary about uh, just basically being willing to take a risk, being willing to hang a number. Um, I, th- I think the Circa folks deserve a lot of praise for the approach they've taken in the last six months. I know you were a part of that, hands-on for college football. Um, it seemed like they were willing to throw, you know, to, to try to make the market there. To, to put out numbers and, and uh, you know, start to, uh, you know, make a name for themselves in that way. And that was, uh, that, that was a very bold strategy. It's very exciting to see people trying to emulate a pinnacle model in the United States. Uh, and, you know, I think long term, if it can, if they can hang, then, yeah, that can be massively successful. These, you know, these very low, uh, low hold future markets look interesting, exciting, uh, offering alternate totals, win totals on NFL uh, teams was exciting. Like, is this, I guess you don't have to comment too much on former player, obviously, but like, are we going to, is this going to, this going to be around for a couple of years? Should I move to Vegas? 
<laughs> you know, I, I'm blown away by how great of kind of like a vision Metcalf has and what in terms of what he wants the book to be. I think that a circus is a great thing for the entire industry, especially this town, putting some pressure on these books who have tried to get by with kind of lowest common denominator, you know, what's the worst, you know, thing that we can offer and still be competitive. Um, it's kind of been the mindset. So, you know, circuit coming in and welcoming sharp action, you know, extending limits to some guys who typically wouldn't be given that courtesy, you know, putting numbers up first, putting up off market stuff and not necessarily needing to see a number. I think it's all, it's all great for the industry. And it was a lot of fun getting to do the college football. And, it, and honestly, I was kind of blown away by how much praise and, and, you know, talk it got. I didn't expect it to be as big of a deal as it was, but it was so much fun doing it each week. And, uh, you know, being first to market and kind of seeing just, just how much of a frenzy it is when you're that first number up. I mean, the amount of handle that you get in that 20, 30 minute span is just, is it's totally nuts. And, um, it, you know, so it's a lot of fun and, I'm hoping that they're able to keep doing that down the line. I think it's, you know, if they're able to show that it's, it's a successful model, then a lot of places are going to have to adapt. And uh, kind of the funny thing about it is, you know, they've done all this and right now they're only in two small books in the D and Golden Gate. Wait until they open the nicest sports book in Vegas. Like it, sure. it's going to be, oh my God, uh, they, they could be a juggernaut. So um, I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, I think it's really cool that, Derek did something that everyone in town kind of hasn't been willing to do. And he said, I'm going to pay a little bit more money for an all-star bookmaking team. And, you know, I'm going to pay an above market price for it. I'm not going to try to save every penny I can on their salaries. And so he brought in guys that could make numbers and, and do all this stuff. And, um, you know, I thought in the time I was there, it was great. Uh, I think that uh, it's definitely on the right track. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to kind of see, you know, I know that CG tried to do the same thing. Uh, when I first got to Vegas and it kind of got derailed a little bit, but if they can do that, I, I think it's going to be an awesome thing for the industry. And a lot of other places are going to have to kind of reconsider how they're, how they're running their business. Hmm. Yeah. That's uh, num number one, just probably super great, like genius marketing by Derek and everybody over there. Cause it's just getting, like you said, the praise, the talk, the, the buzz it's getting, and it's going to lead into the Circa property, which, I mean, if you haven't seen the artist's rendering of that book or that pool, Man. book in the pool, the pool book <laughs> and everything else that's involved, like go look at that. Cause it's going to be awesome. It will be the jewel of downtown. Downtown mm -hmm. is like, maybe they should get rid of a couple of those other ones. <laughs> they're going to look awful shitty next to Circa. Like maybe the four, maybe the four Queens can go, but I'm, I'm very excited because I love downtown. I've stayed at, I, I stay at the nugget a lot. I always make it to the D I'm a little concerned. I'm hearing the Sigma Derby is not running right now. The canopy's off. I'm going to have to double check Ooh. into that. Later. Yeah. But yeah. It's fun. We did play that. I walked over to the circuit book. I was going to try to say hi to you guys. Then I realized it was like four in the morning on a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. You probably, probably would have been out of luck. <laughs> yeah. We, we, no, it was, yeah, it was very empty. We, I lose track of time. Quite close, yeah. I lose track of time when I do get out there, but it was, it's, it's cool. Like I said, probably great marketing. And then also, I think, like you said, with the college football first to open, one of the coolest things I saw, something I probably shared the most with people and it sparked a lot of conversations was you just keep putting the power numbers up, your power yeah. numbers for the top 25. While in, you know, a lot of them were off market by a few points if you start doing comparisons, but it was still, it was cool. Like this is what we're going to battle with. This is what we're putting up. And, you know, obviously you still had to adjust to the market, you know, when the money came in, but I really thought that was cool for you guys to put that up. 
No, great. Yeah. It was a learning experience for the players. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, we kind of talked about it and, you know, there's always been like this veil of secrecy with bookmakers in, in town and, um, you know, they always want to kind of create this perception that they have, you know, this big algorithm or these, you know, <laughs> extensive spreadsheets or power ratings or blah, blah, blah. And a lot of the time they're just putting up a market number that they see on Don Best. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, people know we're making our numbers because because we're, we're putting up the games each week first. But um, I said, you know, why not? And honestly, it was kind of I, I thought we could play off of the the college football rankings release each week. And I said, let's release it right when they do the college football rankings. And then we'll put out our numbers and people can say, OK, well, Utah is fifth in here, but Circa has them 16th in their power ratings. So they're overrated oh, and, and underrated and figured that would be a timely um, thing that we could do to kind of, you know, jump and kind of throw Vegas into the discussion and say, hey, maybe these guys should have more of a say in, you know, who's getting to play in the playoff. You know, it's and like you got Alabama number five and you've got people just crushing you for having Alabama above these teams that have beaten them and all this stuff. And oh, um, so good. You know, it's it's fun to do. And so, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> I think people worry about sharing too much, but you still got to do the work. You still got to know what to look at and how to adjust and, and move those numbers. So me giving the, you know, top 25 each week isn't going to, it's not going to hurt our bottom line. It's going to give us a lot of good exposure. So I, I thought that was yeah. a cool thing. That, uh, and was, lo and behold, was, you, you can just take the numbers that you guys, I mean, the closing numbers for the last five, six weeks and back calculate all that stuff anyway. So if you wanted to right. know, you can figure it out. You're just taking the step of, yeah, so it was a brilliant PR strategy, I thought. I, it was, it, you know, it definitely got the engagement you were looking for in terms of kind of being part of the discussion. Oh, yeah. Um, like the Bama thing. Yeah, I just, after a while, I stopped clicking on the comments. <laughs> you, didn't want to, you didn't even want to read like get uh, mad get, when get i did the top 25 it. for college basketball last year that was the most fun like i didn't have marquette in there and i just got ripped every week because they won like every game by two or three points and they were like number 10 in the polls because they had a good record but they weren't any good and i just got crushed for them every week and then they got bounced by murray state by like 25 in the first round and that was so <laughs> john moran that. was so electric just in that game ran them out of the gym yeah uh, yeah so um it's interesting. One last question about uh, the you know the the you know hanging hanging early numbers. Um, aside from just the, the spectacle, the feeding frenzy that ensued, um, were there any lessons learned about like how markets are shaped, or you know like any you know did you get better at kind of making opening numbers over the course of uh, of that experience? Like some good lessons learned from that. You know, I think the the most interesting lesson, it's it's so hard because you have so much action and you have so many different guys who are probably holding around the same amount with, you know, somewhere from a, a two to five percent winner, you know, that are betting. So it's it's tough to differentiate, you know, which bets you really respect more than others. So more so, you know, than learning from the betters, I think working with Metcalf and someone else who makes college or, you know, college football numbers and kind of seeing how he views things and his process helped me sharpen up a little bit. And, you know, some of my shortcomings, like I, I know that um, one thing that I'm really bad about is not, uh, you know, being as aggressive on big numbers. Like I, you know, I'll always be short on a lot of these teams when they're, you know, like Indiana playing Rutgers. I think my number was, you know, like seven, eight points short of market. He was able to just say, Hey, you no, know, that number is going to be 28. And so we put up 27 and sure enough, it closed 27. Like, so just little things like that where it's like, okay, I need to 
get a little bit better with this or adjust how I do that. Um, you know, from working with him, I think that was probably the coolest part. And I do think that, you know, it does get easier as the year progresses, but I think we, we got a lot better as the year went on. And, um, by the end of the year, I think we had kind of earned the respect of most of the market. Mm. Is the goal when you're doing price discovery to get, you know, get equal action on both sides or to basically recruit the, the opinions of the smarter players? Like is, like, I guess, what's the goal? It really, it really varies depending on where you go, who you're working for. Like I know at CG, we took, it was more of a, an approach based on information and what sharp bets came in, which is, yeah. is what a lot of people will do. You know, let's, let's see where the sharp money is or who we respect the most and, and try to manage accordingly. Um, but, you know, I, one of the things that I kind of changed my opinion on when I was betting the first time is I really think you have to get out ahead if you're really going to be successful as a bookmaker, you have to get out ahead of a move or a game or an edge and you have to kind of eliminate it and not take the bet to begin with. I think, um, you know, my goal is to come in and take away the best bet in every game as a bookmaker. If, if I think a game that's sitting six is going to close eight and I think the favorites are right side, I'm going to try to take as much money plus six and a half plus seven as I can before that move comes. Well, not as much as I can, but you know, within reason or wherever you're, your risk tolerance is, you should say, but, um, so yeah, you're, you know, it really just depends on who's, who's booking the game or what the philosophy of the company is. But for me personally, if I have an opinion on a game, you know, I'm probably trying to take one to two limit bets on that side, you know, the other side of that and position us in a way that if the move comes on my side, we take some money when the move comes, you know, at the worst case scenario, we're balanced out. And, uh, you know, if not, we, you know, we need the side we like. So, that's one thing that it really doesn't happen as much as you think. Uh, a lot of bookmakers will claim that, you know, they like this or that, or, you know, they did this or that, but in reality, they're just kind of accumulating the opinions of the sharp guys or, or trusting, you know, the moves they see on the screen. So I kind of, I kind of got mad at you there. Like I, you hackled me a little. You said like, I want to take, take away the best <laughs> bet. Like that was, <laughs> like, yeah, that's I see that that happens yeah. sometimes where you see it like things open on the wrong side of a number, like how you think they're going to open what you were going to take, and you're like, God, did they do that on purpose just because they know they're going to take it anyway? So and, basically, yeah. confirmation: Vegas yeah. sets traps. Yep, set yeah. traps. Hey, oh well, yeah, that's it, it's a trap <laughs> line. It's a trap. Yeah. yeah, for sure. No, the trap thing is another. Will Alabama stop hitting threes? It's ridiculous. Uh, you're under <laughs> still alive. I have Auburn minus six too. I was looking at that. Oh, I got you. Alabama basketball is doing Alabama football solid after that uh, that uh, Iron Bowl upset. Um, you're going to catch uh, a minus six. All right, sorry. I I keep getting distracted. But uh, yeah, it's (laughs) the whole – everybody's opinion on on how to do it varies. And and I just – I really think that taking the sharp bet and then trying to write a bunch of money on the other side to flip your position – is not an effective strategy. You need to just not take that sharp bet to begin with. You need to be positioned Mm -hmm. in a way that they don't want to bet at your book because you have the worst number of anyone. So it's tough to kind of, you know, everybody has differing opinions on that stuff. Mm. I like it. We do that too, though. Like we'll be doing, we'll be doing an NFL preview podcast and whale there will be freaking out over a Atlanta Hawks game. <laughs> I did not bet the Hawks today. The no, I, I know. Were absolutely I know. Right side of that I had a. I had a. Uh, I had a plus well, nine. And magic goes to overtime. That's a bummer. Anyway, go ahead. I had a plus nine and a half 
foul down eight with 10 seconds left. <laughs> that happens too. They <laughs> lost. Brutal. They certainly lost by 10. That's brutal. <laughs> college ba- brutal. College ba- like college basketball takes years off your life. So they're just, yeah, it's games. nuts. You just can't even get mad. I mean, you have to just not bet a lot, honestly, because it's yeah, so stressful. Yeah. I mean, the, there's so much volume over the course of the season that you see absolutely insane shit. <laughs> like there is just, there's enough, there, there are enough, um, yeah, there's enough of a sample that you see uh, just totally batshit stuff happen. And, uh, absolutely. you know, <laughs> anyway, um, all of these stories, absolutely fantastic. Uh, it would be unfair of us to not get your opinion on some actual college basketball topics while we have you. It is college right, basketball season right now. Um, who wins the SEC? Who wins the SEC? Oh my gosh! Um, I mean, pull up by bottle. I think like you're talking regular season or tournament or what? Uh, the tournament definitely. I don't. Tournament. Uh, yeah, I think the uh, I think the regular season is probably. It looks like it's it's three way race between Kentucky, LSU, and Auburn. Yeah. Um, I think I don't think Kentucky Kentucky plays at LSU. And I guess, yeah, they get Auburn at home in a few weeks. So that, that'll that probably be the game that decides it, I would imagine. Um, mm. but and then in the tournament, is there a clear advantage for Kentucky, you think? Because they have the, think, the pedigree? I think they just, yeah, they have, well, they have 80% of the crowd. It's literally a home game every year. So you've got, it, it, people just totally forget about this each year. But yeah, it's it's unfair. It's all blue in Nashville or Atlanta or wherever they do it. And Kentucky you know, Calipari's strategy, I think kind of his, his formula the last few years is, you know, let's, let's go through some struggles in, in non-conference in January, kind of break these guys down a little bit, and then we'll start to build them up in February. And hopefully the SEC tournament is when he wants them to start peaking. So you really see the best basketball out of Kentucky each year in that SEC tournament. And I mean, last year, they, I think they lost to Tennessee. They, they blew like a seven point lead in the last minute or two and lost in the semis, but every other year in the last five, six years, they've, They've won it, I think. So it's really hard to doubt Kentucky, even though, you know, Auburn and, and LSU really aren't far behind them. Mm. Auburn was my jam last year. See, it's funny. You talk about you, you do the the power conferences. I do everything but the power conferences. I don't <laughs> bet. Those, I will not bet smart, those six conferences smart. all year long. I won't bet them. And then I did a project last year where I did uh, like a preview. And I actually I made futures bets. On, on the offshores for every single conference tournament that was played, at least one. Title. In fact, I, I, yeah, for I made, the, yeah, the outrights. Yeah. Out, outright titles for the conference tournament. I made like 40 bets because I made multiples in, in some tournaments, and I said shit. Like, if I'm going to bet them all, I'm going to bet them all. So I just ran my soft numbers, and I pulled up the who are, who are my best teams in the Power Six and just blindly bet them. And fucking Auburn, that was uh, – I think two of them hit Auburn and maybe the Big Twelve. Auburn was kind of a nice size number, like so. Wow, that was kind of. I've got a soft spot for them. I also bet on Cal at plus two fifty or uh, two hundred and fifty to one to win the uh, Pac twelve. That one didn't hit. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> that was uh, a bad number though. It was a they, bad number, uh, I guess. Auburn, yeah, Auburn was like a, a five seed, so I think they had to play. Five, they had to win five games to win it, so there was a good number. But I, yeah, I snagged them like 150 to one last year to win the tournament. Oh shit! They absolutely ripped my heart out against Virginia. I had Purdue 75 to one, Virginia or Auburn 150 to one, and Texas Tech 75 to one, and nothing on Virginia. Oh my god! Uh, so oh my was, god! Uh, 
a probably the most torturous tournament I've been through from a people's perspective. Um, yeah, I don't even want to talk. Like, I had Virginia pre-tournament. <laughs> <laughs> I, I beat all your team. That was the most ridiculous run. Every game, that's where I just said, I'll, obviously you can't hedge with it, you know, whatever it was, like 10, 12 to 1, but uh, there was no hedging going on with some of the numbers I had anyway. And I just said, well, this this team's either going to do this every week and or one of these times is not going to come through. And Jesus, I don't know how that team won that tournament. They were dead in the water a lot of those games at the end. It was, well, a, fun, it was like a, a fun tournament, though. Someone had like a tweet with a picture of the three games, and it was like Virginia won these three ga- three games with like a screenshot. Like one of them's the balls in the backcourt with two yes. seconds left. One yes. of them like like being guarded in the backcourt with two seconds left, and it's just mm-hmm. it's nuts how they. But I mean, if there's any any school that deserved it after what they went through the year prior, like it, it was them. So. Yeah, that was karmic. Um, anyone, uh, anyone in you know, any any of the typical blue bloods? We'll we'll, we'll put aside the SEC. Uh, any of the other typical blue bloods that uh, we're used to seeing make runs in the tournament? You think uh, have a legitimate shot this year, or is it as wide open as the media would have you believe? Yeah, I I, I really can't peg down a team for. I mean, I think at this point, if you're betting, you can't even look at. You, it's just kind of foolish to say, okay, I think this team's going to win it this year. I mean. It is as wide open as it's been. I, I think everybody in the in my top five or ten, their power ratings down like two points from the teams last year. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to sit here and make the mistake I made last year of saying like Gonzaga is definitely winning or whatever. <laughs> but um, I yeah, I think it's one of those years where you know you really kind of need to be stalking a future market in the next few weeks and keeping it. You know, maybe circle some teams that have a favorable stretch coming up, like uh, Texas Tech. I played the other day. They've got a pretty pretty nice stretch of games for the next two or three weeks and should be able to improve their resume some. Um, that I think that's kind of your goal, that and and maybe trying to find some value in teams that were, you know, had really high expectations preseason and kind of disappointed. I think that's a solid angle this time of year. But, yeah, I really don't have a team for you. I'm okay, I got a much I better question. Kansas, so, I, got a much, uh, I got a much better question then. This is a much, much better question. Then. I'm just going to fire through the uh, the Power Six. Uh, and I would like your just your general opinions because we've been mired in um, in conference play for an eternity. It feels like, and we still have a while more to go. Right, that has a tendency to make certain conferences overrated, underrated, market wide when they collaborate. You know, when they mix them all up in the pot at the end for tournament time, right? So ACC, do you think the market value of ACC is is overrated, or likely overrated or underrated? I think it's it's probably overrated because this it's really down this year relative to what we've seen in prior years. And, uh, you know, I mean, I guess Duke and Louisville are at the top of the standings and, you know, Florida state's up there, but they, they just seem like a really fraudulent 20 and four team. I don't know. How about um, the big 12? That's my only future is Florida state. Big 12. I like, but every year they disappoint in the tournament. It's, it's amazing. But I mean, Baylor is, looks incredible. And I like, I have futures on, Baylor, Texas Tech, and West Virginia. So I'm. Oh, so you're in on I'm, Big Twelve. Okay. I'm in on Big Twelve, um, but I'm I'm my I'm not holding my breath. I won't be surprised if they all lose in the second round. How about Big East? Big East, yeah. You know, I think outside of Seton Hall, there there really aren't any contenders there. But uh, Seton Hall is is very interesting. I mean, they just seem like they're battle tested, and uh, you know they they seem like the kind of team that could grind out a few wins in March and, and make a run. How about Big Ten? America East. <laughs> America, Vermont, right? Vermont's, yeah. Vermont's winning a game this year. It's got to be Vermont. Uh, now, Big Ten, 
that's actually I got my other two Illinois and uh, Ohio State, which Ohio State is unraveled quickly. But um, yeah, that one sideways. Uh, yes. You know, Big Ten. Yeah, I think I don't see anybody winning at it. I, I kind of like Maryland, but I think Penn State's probably peaking a little too soon. Mm. And Michigan State just doesn't. They're just not good. I don't, I don't know, what's, or they're not playing very well. So um, yeah, I don't. I don't love anyone out of the Big Ten. I wouldn't say. Mm. How does that leave about? us? The Pac-12. That's not even a power conference. <laughs> Hey, Pac-12 is better this year. I'll give them that. <laughs> okay, so does that mean that it, overall Pac-12 is going to be underrated come tournament time? I think, yeah, you could say Arizona is better than people think. Uh, Oregon's well-coached and really talented. Uh, and, you know, Colorado, I don't know what I think of Colorado, but, uh, you know, they're under the radar, but they haven't really shown that they can go out you know, on the road and, and beat good teams. So, um, But I do think Oregon and Arizona are probably under the radar a little bit. Mm. Um, how far does San Diego State go? Yeah, so the the winner comes out of the whack or the W. Does San Diego State what is it, eliminated yeah, pre? Yeah, San Diego State over under two and a half tournaments. Uh oh, I would take under that. San Diego State's power rating for me <laughs> sucks. Like I have them like thirtieth in my power ratings. So yeah, yeah, they're they're twenty seventh for me right now. So the typical one seed. Or yeah, the typical one seed in a one eight game is probably you know a seven to eight point favorite over the eight nine. They'd maybe be like a one or two point favorite in that game. So or you know maybe a little more just you know for being a one seed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know everybody's going to want to bet a minus one and a half or two. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't yeah. think they'd be a big favorite in that game, and they'd probably be a slight dog if if they end up playing a four or five seed in Sweet Sixteen. How about uh, they're, Gonzaga they're over under three and a half wins? The conference uh, or their strength of schedule sucks. I just looked it up. Yuck! It's bad. Yeah, it's really no, it's, bad. It's, and they they've kind of messed around in a few of those Mountain West games. But uh, yeah, Gonzaga. I mean, they look good, but I don't know. They're they're not getting challenged. It doesn't seem like. And you know, they they're kind of under the radar relative to you know what they've done. But I I don't know. I, I have a tough time after the team they had last year couldn't do it. it it's just really hard for me to pick them this year. Mm. So uh, no final four for them. I, I, oh, it's possible. Yeah, I just I don't really have a good okay. read on path dependent. Path dependent. We'll, it would we'll kind of make when it makes yeah, sense yeah. though that this year when it's wide open and and they're down yeah. a little bit that they would win it. That would, that would yeah. be typical. So <laughs> who do you who do you think the uh, the number one uh, picked title uh, champion is going to be in the uh, in the bracket in the ESPN bracket challenge? I'm going to guess whichever one seed looks the most impressive in their conference tournament. So Kansas, whoever wins Baylor Kansas game, Kansas, yeah. yeah. If Kansas, Kansas anyway, maybe. Rolls, yeah. Then, yeah, Kansas makes sense because that's that like game against Baylor. If they ended up playing, <laughs> it's the kind of game over the years that Kansas has played pretty well in and won in front of kind of a home crowd in that Big Twelve tournament. So Kansas seems like it's probably going to be a popular team, and um, I don't know. I, other than that, I mean, maybe if Duke you know starts to peak at the right time or. Uh, you know, maybe Louisville God, or something you, like they, that, but I don't know. Dude, Duke, Duke, <laughs> yeah. Duke UNC was a hell of a game on Saturday. Um, Fuck yeah. All right. Yeah, I have I have Gonzaga power ranked like pretty much the same as last year. I look at their strength of schedule, though, too. Like you said, like I, I made fun of San Diego State's. I've, I have Gonzaga's strength of schedule even worse. Yeah. That <laughs> is, like yeah. I haven't alphabetized. San Diego played a tougher schedule. In San Diego State. Gonzaga always, you know, makes a pretty concerted effort to play a really tough non-conference. So it might just be one of those things where a lot of the teams they scheduled didn't end up, 
you know, I think, yeah, Washington and North Carolina both ended up being North down. Carolina Tar Heels. Yeah, definitely qualify. <laughs> I would point out the North Carolina Tar Heels definitely in that uh, commentary for sure. Uh, very yeah. poor team, the, the <laughs> North Carolina Tar Heels. Um, uh, okay, so the uh, we didn't prep you for any of that, by the way. So well done on the fly. That was, was that, that was informative. Solid. That was that was uh, a great rundown. I feel more uh, informed and more prepared for March Madness than I was before this conversation. Well, so thank I'm you. I'm going to be wrong about whoever wins it. So I tell you that. So don't <laughs> don't take too much word. Well, you're pretty cool on Kentucky, and you're a Kentucky guy, so I'm feeling like that might be a, uh, it might be maybe maybe Nish uh, gave him the uh, gave him the good luck. Well, he, he, the he, mush. he got he, he got some mush. shit. He got some shit for that. I he got like the, thirty the, to one, didn't he? He yeah, got a, the, he got a massive one, number. The one comment was pretty solid. I got I can't remember the guy. Oh, he, he's he's somebody. Yeah, but he said, shine, no, shine no, no, it wasn't like, shine. Oh. It was somebody like, oh, you got thirty to one on the twentieth best team in the country. Good job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean they're they're twenty seventh on Ken Palm. I have them eighth though. I and I don't really make any I don't make any manual adjustments, so it's it's kind of objective how I how I do it. And I've got them in the top ten. So if, if you're going off that, it's not terrible. But mm. Um, SEC yeah, looks team, better than people think, uh, as far as I can tell you. I haven't seen uh, Brett, Brett Favre, triple four. <laughs> that yeah. was Favre, right? Yeah. Okay, of course. That's good. <laughs> yeah, Kan Kanish caught the higher Seville, so he's uh he's getting to enjoy that right. So <laughs> Yeah. I can't I I missed that. I don't we'll know give, what give him something about. to do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap this up. This was super, super fascinating. Great pod. I've enjoyed this conversation immensely. Yeah, you kind of uh, nailed and, it. Uh, yeah. Good job, Lindemann. <laughs> no, thank yeah, you. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of... Oh, I think that... Yeah, yeah. I, I will say, like, a lot of the shows that I've done, you know, just really don't touch on this side of it and don't get too in-depth. So it's a lot of fun coming on any podcast where, you know, people ask the right questions and are genuinely curious. So, no, nah, I, I appreciate y'all having me on and hopefully we can do it again soon. Very cool. Well, best of luck. I hope you uh, destroy March Madness and then you get an offer you can't refuse to go work behind the counter somewhere you're desperately <laughs> hoping to. Uh, or, uh, yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, for sure, um, we appreciate all your insight. And uh, I feel like we learned a lot without really giving away too many of the secrets. So good job by you. And uh, with that, best of luck uh, in the tournament. Yeah, guys. I appreciate it.